Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie, and I am your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you into the field where you have those aha moments and mastermind meetings that can change your life. Every so often, you may hear a bird chirping, a vehicle driving by, ambient noise from the next table. These types of inspirational moments do not happen in a soundproof studio. They also do not happen in your office, generally speaking. They happen when you go into the field. So today we're coming to you from my sumptuous balcony here in Las Vegas, known to some as the hottest city in America. And we are about to discuss a topic that is timelessly hot, which is about how small, medium-sized businesses can achieve communications and marketing outcomes like a Fortune 500 company. Part of the challenge we run into this is budgets, teams, access to resources, understanding of some of the psychology. There are so many different things that small to medium-sized businesses perceive as being barriers, yet the opportunity is open right in front of you. So today, let me tell you a little bit about our guest. His name is Mark Havener, and I've been so excited to have him on for a while. Mark is a marketing communication strategist with a specialized focus on brand and executive thought leadership, strategic content development, and corporate communication strategies. He has more than 20 years of experience aligning messages with business goals and developing myriad communications vehicles and message strategies for a lengthy roster of clients. He started a consultancy after years of implementing marketing and corporate communications strategies with business leaders ranging from startup entrepreneurs to Fortune 500 execs. He has refined a thought leadership approach that brings organizations and leaders clarity, shifts focus onto what is important, and provides processes needed to capture share of voice in the marketplace. And I'll tell you, among the many things I'm grateful for as far as that bio is that the composer of it properly used the Oxford comma. Mark Havener, come on down the weather's fine so nice to be here and yes i'm a big believer in the oxford comma even yes. though ap would tell me otherwise well to hell with ap uh the oxford comma if you don't include that oxford comma it can cost you millions of dollars there was that one lawsuit alone where a company had to settle for five million dollars because the lack of the oxford comma caused an ambiguity in terms of whether or not they had to pay their workers overtime for performing a specific task. Preach. I, I will I will preach and I will go to the mat for the ox. Let me tell you. So <laughs> what I'd like to what we like to do here before we get started, and this is today's topic is one of those ones where you gave me some starting points in our green room conversation and we'll go from there. But this could take any one of many exciting avenues. Before we embark on this journey, 
what we like to do is, I mean, I read off your official bio, not sure I'm worthy to be here, and this is my show. So that being said, tell us something about what has driven you to arrive where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. It's a really good question because I, I do feel driven, especially as of late. I, I was, uh, you know, in a in an agency environment. It was a, a really great agency. They're still around. Uh, I was there for a long time, uh, and after a while, I was starting to feel disillusioned. Uh, you know, not with the people that I was working with, but with the work itself. Uh, and and it was because I felt like I was checking a lot of boxes, mm-hmm. but not actually moving businesses forward. And I didn't feel like I had the freedom to do so. And so what's driven me is to uh, to to take control of that and to focus on um, on business outcomes as as sort of my trade. And you know, you can't do that in an agency environment. It's very difficult to do that because you have a, a scope of work and you have to you're you're often led by the client strategy. Um, and so I'm really driven about actually solving problems rather than just spinning wheels. Right. It sounds like a, a cop-out answer because it's not, it's kind of an ambiguous abstract answer, but it's extremely important to me because I, I just cannot work well if I don't believe what I'm doing doesn't make a difference or doesn't impact anything. So it's really important to me that I, I, I know that what I'm doing will, will actually help. No, I don't see that as any sort of cop-out answer whatsoever. I myself have turned down many opportunities that checked off all the boxes. But it's like, you know, when it really comes down to it, the question we need to answer is, is this something that I can get behind to the point where I would feel able to wake up without an alarm clock day after day to work on this? And if the answer is not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. And it's hard to articulate what it is that makes me excited to get up in the morning. But the 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 fundamental is that what I'm doing is actually moving the needle for somebody. Yeah, yeah, I, I can absolutely relate to that. So speaking of moving the needle, we are discussing today small and medium-sized businesses achieving communications and marketing outcomes like Fortune 500 companies. And I'm going to start with an extremely broad question. What, in your experience, doing this stuff is one of the biggest either roadblocks barriers or missing pieces that stand between these businesses and being able to achieve this i think the biggest uh, barrier is that small and medium-sized businesses actually i would say businesses in general um, tend to talk about themselves with an internal mindset in other words they talk about how great they are uh, how much experience they have, how many you know problems they've solved, and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that gets in the way of almost everything from a marketing communication standpoint because people don't generally care about you. They only care about me. So if you are a business and you're talking about how great you are, you're probably not being heard. So my thing is, is, do you know any businesses out there that tell their market that the work that they do sucks? <laughs> no, but, <laughs> uh, but, but even if they did, um, that's still an internal, that's still an internal strategy. So if, if you are talking about what you do in the context of how it solves somebody's problem, or you're talking about somebody's problem, or you're talking about 
the industry as a whole in which you serve and and you have a vision of where that industry needs to go and those are the messages that you're focused on it it, it becomes much uh it becomes much easier to listen to you because now uh now you're talking about me in my situation rather than just talking about you yeah yeah so I guess another thing that I would like to know is in your experience, what would you call, I mean, this is an inside perspective. I think you said, what would be an example of an outside perspective or an example of a best practice? So, um, uh, well, that's kind of a big question. I'll try. Uh, I, I think that if that's... you are, uh, if you are talking about yourself, uh, you'll know it because you are you're probably talking about the features and benefits of your service and product. You might say that, um, I don't know, my my uh, my desktop lamp is uh, the best on the eyes, right? Or it has the best battery or battery power. I don't know. I'm just making something up because I'm looking at a lamp. That that is an example of internal communications or internal marketing. What 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 I would do is pivot that and talk about well, what is it about this product that fixes a, a problem in the industry? And and that's that's just a, a completely different point of view. You might be talking about the same features, you might be talking about the same benefits, but now you're talking about the value that those features and benefits bring to your audience, to your customer, to your industry, to your world. And so, if I were able to say about my lamp that my um, I I you know I my 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 lamp lights up creativity. As piffy as that sounds, that automatically segments me to an audience, and it also talks about what my value is. I, I really want to help creatives, and and that can inform any number of communications programs. Yeah, 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 yeah. I all right. So, what is in your way, in your experience, the best way to actually get seen? Because it's one thing to shift the message from one viewpoint to another, from the internal viewpoint to the external viewpoint, however you want to identify that. But until we cross the bridge of, or cross the Rubicon of reaching an audience that's going to see it and engage with it, to me, it's still the tree falling in the forest with nobody around to hear it. Yeah, I like to, I like to also call it, uh, you know, sh shouting in a crowd or whispering in a vacuum. <laughs> Where, yeah, uh, it, it's your is it, everybody's talking, and and we have the sum total of all human knowledge in our pockets. So what, what, why do we care? You know, as as people about what a company, a brand, or or a product says. And um, the the first is yes, change your point, your mindset about what you're talking about. But 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 secondly, uh, that that can't be superficial. It really needs to be tied into something that you value the reason that you get up in the morning your purpose in in your industry what why are you there and the reason it has to tie into a value is because when you start talking from a point of view of the this is what i value this is what's important to me and this is how i'm going to fix the problems in the world because of what i value then other people that share those values will 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 hear you above the crowd and so you don't have to talk very loud and you don't have to spend a lot of money getting your message broadcast as long as you're hitting the value statement and you're doing it consistently. You can do it on Facebook, you can do it on TikTok, you can do it wherever, but but if you're not articulate articulate in what you're doing to change your industry, the world, the people that you're serving and you're doing that because you have a purpose in doing so, 
and then there's no really reason to listen to you. Okay. Uh, I see what you're, I see what you're saying. If, but again, uh, let me just try and articulate this a little bit, a little bit more is it's great to pick a platform and be on it, but there's millions of people on every single one of those platforms. What makes, in your experience and through some of your work, creates a feeling of it being actually compelling? What makes um, my platform interesting to other people? Well, we could, we could, we could, let's, let's look at you, for example. What makes your platform compelling to other folks? What draws people to you? Well, it's because uh, I, first of all, it's focus. So uh, not trying to help everybody in the world. I'm just looking looking to help business leaders who um, are having trouble being seen, but that have an important message. Okay. So that's a particular niche. So I'm not going after major corporations with huge brands. I'm not going after, you know, just uh, entrepreneurs who are trying to grow a, a business through performance marketing. I'm, I'm going after a particular segment. Um, so, so segmentation is critical, knowing exactly who you're talking to, because then it's easier to align values if you know who you're talking to. Uh, but the other thing is it, 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 it's it's sincerity in your message, which goes back to your value. Um, for me, it is uh, like I said at the top of this discussion. I really want to be able to move the needle for people. I'm not just doing this to make a buck. And so, a lot of my messaging. Um, externally is is about you know what it, what problems that do you actually have that that we can actually solve together so it's less of a uh you know less of a, a, an agency being boots on the ground and more of a, a a consultant and a partner that can help you through it um as a confidant or as a brain trust or something along those lines and so that that's another way of segmenting by by calling in the 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 the, the message that that particular audience is after so the big thing that I'm leading to on this is that what small and medium-sized businesses can do to, to fundamentally decrease, say, their acquisition costs or their uh, time that they spend in communications on social media or on flyers or however they're doing it is by focusing their message on a specific audience that they are specifically helping for a specific reason. All right. Okay. So... What would you, okay, so we're, this is all great. And what are some of the strategies that you've seen be effective to make this happen? The, uh, well, this, there, there are several level, levels to the strategy. I mean, there's, I, I live by an airport, so hello, yeah. Santa Monica. The, um, all right. the, the, on the top level, it is uh, identifying the right audience. And I, and I know every marketer says that, but I'd like to dive into that a little bit. Uh, before we go into the the the, the next la layer on the strategy, yes. so uh, identifying the market. What that means is, um, I, I do this for who, and so that they can. Is that formula it, that that kind of specificity in that formula? Where if, if I might just make um, a a widget because there's demand, but for for my view, that's not enough to target an audience. You're making a widget for a demand so that whoever buys that widget can now do something that they weren't able to do before, or that they can do something that, that, that makes them better, or they can do something that satisfies a need. And so really specifying what what your audience needs and wants out of the thing that you're that you're delivering. Okay. That's what I mean by personal uh, by specifying the market. Once you've done that, 
the next layer of the strategy is to um, is is to bring it home by focusing on their need and what you do to fix their need. So I'll I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, let's see if I can find one out of out of out of thin air. <laughs> Uh, I like, oh, I use this example a lot. I guess it's okay if I use it again, but it's one of my favorite examples. The, um, uh, the, the brand Folgers is well known and they live in the marketplace, uh, just by legacy of brand. And so there's really, you know, no buddy that's going to wonder what Folgers is or, you know, what, what, what kind of coffee you're going to get. Yeah. Um, but then there's this, uh, uh, you know, when you look at the coffee industry, it's really kind of evolved into uh, a Starbucks where you're going to get coffee. And now we're in a different tier. There's actually some market lingo around this phenomenon. But now people are cultivating their own coffee at home in spectacular ways through, I, I've seen these like, you know, the, the, these devices that take up entire tables of, you know, it's steampunk technology to to make your uh -huh. coffee uh and so it's kind of heading a whole different direction and and that's because uh, uh people are are looking at coffee in a different way so when when i'm a coffee brand am i going to compete with folgers or am i going to deliver a need that that somebody's expressing uh and that need is to <laughs> i don't know why there's a bulldozer in the back i'm completely lost my train of thought um let's go back to coffee so one of my favorite coffee brands is a small um, brand where I can just buy coffee through a subscription called La Colombe. And I, I love the quality of the coffee, but it's, it, you know, really when you're talking about coffee, they, they taste the same Folgers in this guy. I mean, there's probably, these guys probably taste better than Folgers, but I wouldn't really know. Um, there, it's probably uh -huh. cost a lot more too. I mean, Folgers is going to be a lot cheaper. But the reason I subscribe to them is because we share this vision and this platform and they found me uh, because they were talking from an authentic place and they said, you know, we uh, know that you don't want to waste your drip coffee at home with Folgers. We have something that's better. By the way, this is also free trade, you know, and all, all the other value points that they brought up. And they're actually targeting me because of the way that I drink coffee. That was okay. a long extended example. And I got distracted, but I hope that delivered the point. Well, yeah. So what I'm hearing from that is that this to me speaks to competition and it's a matter of if you want to start a coffee brand, who are you really competing with? Right. And who, and who are you trying to reach with this? Because I don't think that just off the top of my head, I'm not much of a coffee drinker myself. I actually don't even like it, but I can think of some of the things that, come up within that culture one of which is let's say that i want instant coffee how much more instant can you be are you really going to compete on that uh i mean there comes a point where it'd be like the ritz carlton saying we have clean hotel rooms right. or <laughs> color tv or, yeah or 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 lamborghini <laughs> or lamborghini coming out and saying uh we have we have fuel efficiency right yeah, so yeah, that's a good so, way so to articulate it. So yeah, so to me, if I were going to start a brand of coffee, I wouldn't be leading with trying to make it more instant or more of what everybody else is doing. I, to me, I would be looking to put people in a state of mind. Like, where are you when you have that cup of coffee? What do you see in front of you? 
Who are you with? Or are you with nobody? What are you thinking of? What are you doing? What is your lifestyle like in that moment? What is your vision of your lifestyle like in that moment? And how can we transport you there? Right. And you're going into exactly what I was talking about earlier, which is this idea that you have, you've got to communicate what, uh, beyond what your value proposition is, but what, you, what you're delivering for that person. And if it's about changing your entire mindset because you've had this cup of coffee and I've been teleported to a, a place of comfort, then you know your, your, your value proposition is that you deliver comfort is an example. And if you can tie that into your values, why why that's important to you that you're doing that for the coffee drinker, then then things become much more enriched. It, the biggest difference between what Fortune 500 companies do with good marketing and what small and medium-sized businesses tend to do is that Fortune 500 will focus on a value. And about what I mean by value is why why this is important to the person they're delivering this product to. Uh, you know the 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 kings and queens of the industry like Nike or 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 Apple. I mean, they don't even really need to talk about their features and benefits. They only talk about what this product is going to turn you into, aspirationally, in those cases. Yeah. Well, when it, when you want to talk about like smartphone producers, what they've essentially done is, as I see it, created this war between iPhone users and Android users. Right. I, I, I've, I've seen so much emotion over this. And I'll tell you what, I saw a comment about this once, and this was actually frightening to me. Somebody commented uh, about themselves being on, I guess, team iPhone. And then they went on to say, and I'm paraphrasing here slightly, and they're saying, how soon can we, how soon till we can finally just assimilate everybody? Like assimilate everybody? <laughs> Gee, uh, that, that, Assimilation has worked so well throughout history. So, are you saying are you saying that we take the Android users and we cut them off from the internet? Do we cut them off from society? What do we do with this? But I bring that up because it shows that there's a level of, I guess, passion to this. To put it kindly, and it's, inter- and it's interesting how I've had this theory for a long time, but I've just not been able to prove it. That this is among the strategies of both Apple and the various manufacturers of Android-related products is to make it sort of a war about whose operating system is better. Yeah, and it's it's age-old strategy. I mean, with the Cola Wars, et cetera. But but the reason it works... Oh, I remember those. (laughs) It does. I'm a Mac. But the reason it works is because uh, consumers, especially in this this market, you, you wear it as sort of a lifestyle badge. I mean, you used to, used to put up um, posters of your favorite bands in college, you know, on the wall to kind of re- reflect who you are. It's the right. same kind of thing. I mean, the, the, in a way, uh, the phone kind of uh, distills you in a snapshot of who you are and what and, you know what you value. And and that's I I don't know if that's as strong as it used to be with Apple and or with iPhone and say Android. I mean, it used to be a much stronger sentiment, but uh, but that marketing that's that's what they're doing. They're they're trying to get you to use them as a, a marker of who you are. I mean, how we saw that with vaccines. I swear to God, uh, people were actually touting which version of the vaccines that they received over <laughs> yeah. over. COVID. And I mean, I'm not going to get into because this isn't a political show, whether those are even vaccines or not. Uh, But 
the it's fact sort of like is, the, the is Harry a, the Harry Potter house, you know, it's yeah. like which vaccine are you? Yeah, I ex- ex- exactly. But while but while on the surface, uh, folks are distracted about uh, about labeling each other depending on whether they make a personal choice to receive what they perceive as a medical treatment. Behind that, there's this other thing going on. I did see it mentioned in a couple of secondary news reports that the brand that you chose was being used as some sort of status symbol. Like how, how do, I mean, I, I have trypanophobia. I, I, if I think about this too long, I may pass out on you right here on the business creators <laughs> radio show. I can't think of, I can't think of how I would select which version of my moral fear I want most. Like I don't want any of them. But it brings it brings to the point that there is a there is something you can appeal to when it comes to that. I've believed for years, and this was taught to me by one of my mentors, Speaker Paul Ross, creator of Invisible Influence, that there are essentially three things to keep in mind when it comes to marketing, sales, influence, persuasion, et cetera, et cetera. There's what people think they want, there's what people say they want, and then there's what people actually respond to. Yeah. So what do you think of that? Yeah, I think, um, especially in today's world, I actually don't typically advocate advocate persuasion as 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 the best communications or marketing tactic, because um, there's on automatic there's armor. Everybody has armor up, and we don't you know pop up ads don't work. Uh, user acquisition costs are through the roof. They've never been higher. Uh, a lot of marketing firms are now looking at retention as a key metric and not acquisition. Right. It's just costing too much. And, and uh, you know, all of that, it said it it's just too costly, too time consuming uh, to, to do. And so when you look at a small business budget, if you're spending that on acquisition, things are going to be rough for you. It's, it's much better to find the people who actually need or want the thing that you have and talk to them directly, which goes back to segmenting. But if, if your marketing mix is uh, specifically about people that have the need and you're only talking to those people, Acquisition costs are much, much lower, you know, and maybe you don't even need to spend if, if all you have to do is get into the right Facebook group or the right, you know, LinkedIn page and talk to the right people. Um, that's, I think, the, 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 the killer strategy. I mean, even the big brands are, are still dumping ridiculous amounts of money into advertising. And I get really frustrated even as a marketer when I'm trying to read some piffy top 10 list of something that, you know, all of the Avengers actors said. Right. And uh-huh. I, I clicked on the link bait and I really want to read it. I care about what Chris Evans thinks about this. And 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 I, I'm just inundated with ads. I have um, ads that are freezing up my iPhone that I can't find the X to X out of. I mean, am I really going to buy that? I, I, I think that we really need to rethink this t- top to bottom, how we're communicating to audiences. All right. I'm thinking of particularly during an election season. When you try and watch a video on YouTube, you not only get inundated with a higher volume than usual of politician ads, but somehow, for some reason, you can't skip them. You can skip any other ad, but those ones you're going to sit through and watch. Right. And you you know it's it's bad because there's a black and white version of it, you know, and then you know it's uh good because there's a puppy. And it's happened with direct mail too. We're starting to get them, you know, and I saw the direct mail come in yesterday. There was a postal worker working on a Sunday to give us direct mail for the campaign. Uh-huh. 
And I'm looking at it, it's like, am I actually going to vote because they sent me this? No, I'm not. I could care less. It's going straight into the trash. And I can't be alone. I'm Gen X. And if that's how I think, forget about it. Well, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, on, the, I'm on the tail end of the X's myself. I'm right at that edge where I'm basically almost sort of like a millennial because some of the experiences are quite similar. But here's the next question that I have for you. Define need. Need from um, an audience point of view. Yeah. It, it, it's it's either uh, something to make me feel better or something to fix a problem I have. Well, what if I told you that they say the only thing you need to do is die and pay taxes and with the help of a skillful accountant, you don't even have to do the latter. Yeah, that's fixing a problem. That's something I don't uh, have to do now. Okay. That's, that's why I buy an account. Uh, you know, and 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 there's also, you know, there there is fear-based needs which I, I tend to not participate in because I don't think you, you can have a strong retention strategy through fear-based marketing. So I mean, there is the are you compliant with your taxes kind of messaging in that case, but I think it'd be much better to do you want your life back? So you're not dealing with this. Uh-huh. That's fixing a problem. I'm busy. Yeah, I do want my life back. Thank you. Um, and that's that's I, I think everything can be just distilled down to that. And, and it's not like how 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 expensive or inexpensive is this accountant? How many clients do they have? How many years have they been doing it? That all happens sort of in the investigative part of the funnel um, when you're really trying to tie between two accountants. But the, right. the, the broader issue is uh, I, I, um, I fixed this particular problem. I'll give you a, a real world example of an accountant yeah. who's entirely focused on a sole proprietor LLCs and handle it in a particular way. And I said, you know what? That's me. You're hired. You handle my particular problem. Uh-huh. I didn't even need to look. Right. Right. So I've been told that I need to uh work on my fitness a bit and the fact is i have for years had a lifestyle that's just been a little too sedentary a year ago i began a quest of self-reinvention that has me re-optimizing my physique and all that is one of the goals but it's not goal number one. First was image rebranding then there's moving the business to a certain level of where it needs to be. Then there's changing my living situation to something that's more optimized to what I'm at now. And once I achieve certain goals, then yeah, I may devote more time to the fitness side of it. But I, I'm being told by people that I need to do it right now because otherwise, how am I going to enjoy those other things? Well, I'm enjoying them just fine. <laughs> It's like the, it's like the it's like the messaging is a bit off here, and for everybody that tells me that I need to do something, like I need to uh, cut it out with the cigars, or is is one example, or I need to uh, uh, you know get rid of certain things in my dietary lifestyle, or what have you. I give them the example of Jackie Gleason, the the late actor, and it was 1981. He was being interviewed on 2020. And this was two and a half years after he had had open heart surgery to correct damage to his heart caused by years of just his lifestyle, I guess. And then Hugh Downs, who was the interviewer, was talking about this bypass surgery. And then Panda Jackie Gleason smoking a cigarette, 
holding a glass of whiskey. And the obvious question comes up. And Gleason said, well, I figured if they fix me, they fix me. That meant I could continue to I, I could continue to smoke all that's a stupid habit, and I drink as much as I used to. So in Jackie Gleason's view, medical science fixed his heart. Why should he not go on with what he was doing? Yeah, whenever somebody says Pro- I need prove, to watch the show, prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Whenever somebody says I need to watch a show, I don't want to watch that show. Like, you know, and maybe that is a Gen X in me. Like, you don't get to tell me what to do. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna make my own decisions. Thank you. Um, that, I, I would, I would say in that case, you know, this is the wrong audience. If you're telling somebody that they have to do something and they don't want to do it, that's not the right audience. There, there are, there are people in this seemingly infinite world who, who do need the thing you want. And also, are you looking at the right value? I mean, do, you, do you want to be? Uh, is health really your 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 mission here because um i'll tell you in my experience when i was uh, i went through a, a similar change that you're describing and for me getting healthy wasn't about living longer or having more energy or enjoying things more it was about uh, aligning my my body with my mind because my yeah. mind was uh doing certain things in a very well good way and then i you know my body wasn't and it felt out of alignment and so that kind of like well i just need to adjust myself so that i'm in alignment was a much more powerful message for me. And, and there was an app that kind of spoke to me on that message. Uh, and I, I used the app and it worked. But if, if this right. app was telling me, oh, you know, spend more, you know, you, you need to be healthy so you have a longer life for your kids. Well, I'm pretty much in the weeds right now. So I'm not thinking about the next 10 years. Yeah, I probably should. So that message isn't going to work on me. But right. if, it's like if, you, if your mind is active and your body isn't, if there's a disconnect, that message worked. Sure, sure. So it comes down to a matter of, I, I, I mean, another example is I get marketed to all the time uh, from the fitness industry telling me about getting ripped. Well, I'm not concerned about that at all. Right. Because when I see people that, I mean, and God, and God bless them, if they want to do body sculpting and bodybuilding, things of that variety, I support that for those who want to do it. But you know what I see when I see those chiseled bodies, uh, whether it's a man or whether it's a woman, I, I look at myself thinking, I don't have time for this shit. Exactly. Like, where, like where, where does this fit in, in my life? This is not going to be, this, this is unlikely to be one of my top priorities. Even if I looked at the sky and got hit in the face by $20 million, I could keep tax free. That probably still would not rise to the top 10. It's funny. We're very similar in that regard. Uh, right. That, that's a, that would, that would be the wrong audience or, or, you know, the, um, shoes is a great example. I, I, you know, I get the marketing for shoes where these are the top line sneakers run like you've never run before. You'll be the flash, just do it. I don't know that message. Those messages are not for me because I do not, I can't run very well, actually. Um, I have bad ankles. And also, yeah. I'm not, I wouldn't run for that reason. I, I'm not interested in that. I want shoes that are going to last, so I don't have to buy them every year. So if, if I get a, you know, an ad that's with some cobbler putting together the perfect shoe that I know is going to outlast my children, that's the shoe I'm going to buy. Oh, that sounds exciting. And see, I, that's why, see, I, that's why I, I, I wear Doc Martens. Yeah, I like, I like classic timeless styles myself. And I also like the idea of efficiency. When I had that part of my makeover done about a year ago, 
I designed a capsule wardrobe. I love the fact I only own like 14 pieces, but through interchangeability, I have about 30 outfits. I've heard of this trend. That's a really cool idea. I love yeah. that. Yeah, I, li- I like the fact that uh, hopefully I'm going to be moving very soon. And when I do, my entire wardrobe will just fit in one of my suitcases. Yeah, that's amazing. That ex- and, that, and, and, that and you get me. you get higher quality clothes because of that. So you don't have to, yeah. you know, so you're more concerned about quality. So if you got a message that said, you know, uh, $10 t-shirts at Kohl's, it's not going to hit you. And Kohl's is wasting money by trying to market to you. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. You're, you're absolutely correct about that. And here's a, here's another thing. I, and this is just the way you described that is now suddenly gotten me fired up here. So we're going to, we're <laughs> going to, we're going to go down the path here for a moment. All right. So I mentioned a couple of times in this interview that um, I'm in the process, I'm in the process of moving from, one place to another. So I've lived in an apartment for eight years. I lived in another apartment for eight years before that when I lived in Pittsburgh before I came to Las Vegas. My reasons for moving is just general dissatisfaction with the way the community is being managed. This is not a secret. Uh, But I figure since I'm moving anyway, let's look at some other things about the lifestyle and see what other adjustments we can make. So among other things that are coming up is me looking at the opportunity side of it. A lot of my lifestyle here in Las Vegas takes place in a different part of town than where I currently live. And we're a very large city. So part of it is concentrating my search for a new place to be geographically closer to the action as I see it. So that's a benefit right there. Another thing is, is the place I have right now, I'm not even using half of it. There are rooms in this place that I don't even go into much at all. So I'm thinking scaling back. Now, when you hear somebody say that they're moving from a two-bedroom to a one-bedroom apartment, what's the first thing you connotationally think? What are you going to do with all your stuff? What are you going to do with all your stuff (laughs) is one of them. Uh, Another is, wow, is everything okay? Why why You're downgrading. You're cut. No, 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 no. I don't view it that way at all. I, I I view it as, why would I pay for something I don't need. It's not a reflection of my lack of wealth. It's a reflection of I would prefer to use my money for experiences rather than things, which actually goes back to your first question. I don't have a lot of stuff by choice. I'm both essentialist and minimalist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get these, you get these things coming into play. And what I began to util, you know, enlist social media in my search by sharing a bit about what was going on with my situation and also a bit about uh, what I was looking for. You, it's, you know, when you mentioned you're looking for a place to live, you will usually on social media have a bunch of realtors try and jump into the conversation. Right. Well, I'm not looking to buy something. I'm not looking for a house. I'm not looking for a townhouse. I'm not looking for a condo. I'm not looking to buy half a duplex. Yes, I'm familiar with the trope about how real estate is an asset. And if you're paying rent on an apartment, all you're doing is giving money away. And frankly, I don't care. <laughs> again, yeah, money yeah, again, yeah. again, money for experiences. I what's more valuable to me is portability. The fact if I don't like it here, I'll just go somewhere else. I'm only bound to it up to a year. <laughs> to me, that's a value that's important to me. The idea that I'm not 
chained down to something is very important to me. The idea that I don't have a lot of upkeep is very important to me. I had somebody ask me, well, yeah, you want to get a, you want to get a, just a small little place and that may be great. So it's less for you to maintain, but what happens when you get married and have kids? Like when I get married and have kids, I get another place. Right. That's future totally me problem. Flew over your head. To- totally flew over your head. <laughs> and then here, and then here, and then here's another thing. And this came up a couple times is, and this, and this was, I guess, people thinking that they were appealing to me and trying to create in a very crude way a sense of moving up in the world or something like that. I actually had somebody type to me, well, you know, you, you could get an apartment or I could, I could get you a, a townhouse because living in an apartment, why would you want to live around all those scuzzy people? Wait a minute. You mean, you mean actually live with people? Okay. <laughs> did, okay. Clearly this is somebody who, and I can, and I can demonstrate this because they knew of me for about 12 seconds before they typed that a surface level dive into things that motivate me would tell you that elitism is, is an instant turnoff. Yeah. Right. Showed their cards. So in this little, so in this little rant, I just gave you uh, what I wanted to see in addition to anything else you might've caught in all this is that my views on where I'd like to live, what I'd like my home lifestyle to be, don't fit any of the molds that most people have seen up until now. But, but however, that also indicates a level of lack of awareness that to me is somewhat staggering. If you look at some of our younger generations let's start in the united states for example and i've seen articles about this you remember and and mark you you know have probably seen this in your own family somebody dies whether it's your grandparents your great uncle or what have you and a couple days after they pass on there's this big gathering at their house where everybody gets what they want out of the house before they uh, put the rest of it up for a state sale does that sound familiar oh yeah yeah and uh well now we're starting to see this trend in younger generations where the kids don't want any of it. Right. And I mentioned earlier that I'm Gen X right on the edge of millennials, born in 1976. And my parents have for years wanted me to go back to Pittsburgh and go through their house and pick out all the stuff uh, from their art collection and, and their furniture and, and what I want to inherit from them when they go. It's like the only thing I want out of their house or a couple things that are left over that I just haven't gotten out of it yet that are actually mine. I, as far as the rest of it, liquidate and give me half the money. Right. And this is a, this is a trend that we're seeing because the idea of you're going to buy one house, you're going to spend 40 years to pay it off. Not only due to changes in our economy, is that become less accessible to a greater portion of the population? There's also a lifestyle trend that focuses more on simplicity, minimalism, essentialism, and portability, and the idea that you invest in experiences rather than things. Meanwhile, in many other parts of the world, and I'm thinking of much of Europe as an example, the idea of taking out a mortgage when you're 26 years old and spending the next 40 years paying it off is laughable. It's like they don't even have a frame of reference to think about something like that. 
Because you're either going to live in an apartment, which you're going to rent, or the villa in the countryside is not going to take you 40 years to pay off because the pricing structure is just so much different. Right. Yeah. We're, we're almost exactly the same age and we share a lot of the values on that front. I, I think that we've collected as a family too much stuff in general. Yeah. And my wife feels the same way. Uh, I would love a minimalist lifestyle. We'll probably when the kid leaves the house, head that direction. But um, it, it's not just us. Uh, the, I, I see it on, on TikTok. I see it on Instagram. I mean, people just don't want stuff anymore. Uh, and, and they think they want, as you say, experience. That's something that's very clear in the marketplace. Whenever you see a headline about millennials, about how they don't want fill in the blank. It, yeah, it's because it's a waste yeah. of time and money, whatever that fill in the blank is probably. And if you're if, if you if you're a brand that's trying to cater to young audiences, and uh, you know you really need to think carefully about that. There's a whole digital nomad movement. Um, you know we don't we're seeing it in the business world we don't need offices. We've realized. Yeah. Um, there's there's uh, you know co-op off space, which makes a lot more sense for a lot of different businesses. It, it, we're just much more transient. We want to be flexible. We want to be able to to move. And, and the reason there's a reason I think for this. And it's because we've just been in a state as a society, a state of uncertainty for a very long time. And I don't think uncertainty is going away. And do you really want to lock in a 40, 50 year commitment on anything right now? No. We do, are there going to be banks tomorrow? We don't know, do we? Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not 1992. Uh, things, things are very different and uncertain. And, and when you look at Gen Z, especially, but also millennials, but Gen Z, especially, they've only ever known this environment. So, you know, yeah, they have no intention of, of settling down in any way. We right. Realize that as marketers, you know, and, and if, and if our, our product is not aligned to that, then that's, that's definitely the wrong audience. Yeah. So I'm looking at it. I was uh, in one of my networking groups I belong to last week. One of the members, she and her husband have sold their very large house and have moved into an RV and are preparing a cross country adventure. Yeah. It sounds and like heaven. And I'm, I know, I know, right? And I'm, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the inside of their RV because they have their, she has her camera turned on them, and she's, you know, showing it. And I see how there's the divider, the partition that separates the sleeping area from the rest of it. And my main question was, is do your cats feel like they have enough room to play and enough room to live? Because that's really my primary concern in terms of my living space is when my cats need to do those 50 yard dashes that cats randomly do, <laughs> are they right. going to have enough space to burn some of that energy off without whacking their head into the wall? <laughs> so all I need is a good hallway or something that's more long than wide to accomplish that as far as, and as far as viability for guests or anything like that, well, I'm not going to put up guests and, uh, and as far as my lifestyle, I'm not the one who has people over. I'm the one that goes to where people are. And there's a real simple reason for that. And, th and again, this has to do with understanding your market. It's because I'm so introverted that I, they had to create a new level on the left-hand side of the scale for me. <laughs> yeah. So why, if I'm so introverted, would I prefer to go to where other people are than to have them visit my place? It's because you, I you have, have a way out. It's because it, you bingo. It's because I have a fear that they won't catch my signals that I'm burned out as far as social energy and it's time for them to volunteer to leave. And I've had situations before where I've got into arguments with folks when I had to tell them it was time for them to go and they tried to overrule me in my own living space. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm, yeah, no, no, thank you. Yeah. So my so as far as I'm concerned, my living space really only needs to accommodate me, my cats, and uh, well, if, you know, if I have a woman over, that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm anywhere else. I'm I'm going to them. They're not coming to me. So I'm telling you more about my values here, and right. and and again, see what's interesting is we were originally talking about small businesses and how they can compete with Fortune 500 companies, and this has turned into a conversation about our values as uh, as late frame millennials, or, or actually you know late frame Gen 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 Xers, right? So this is to me this is actually important to our listeners, and not everything is literally Q&A because it has to do with getting, you know, touching something, some nerve. And you, you, you got me, Mark, you got me on that gets them to just open up and tell you how to sell to them. Yes. Because now it's not a sale. Now it's a conversation. It's a, Oh, you need that. I have that. You, you know, what are our terms that that's a, that's a much better sales strategy than you need this. It's right. like, oh, I already know that you what your needs are. Let's see if I am a good fit. It, it, you know that that conversation is way more important. And if you're having conversations at that level, then it does turn into a retention strategy as opposed to an acquisition strategy, as you're actually cultivating relationships and communities. And you don't have to worry about Facebook's algorithm because you have built a community. It takes time. It takes yeah, it consistency. Does. But if you have focus, you don't you don't need to spend. Right. I. Another example I have is when I joined the Rotary and we paid $17 to get the badge for the luncheons and you had to pick an industry to display on the badge. You don't put your company name, you put the industry you're in. Mm -hmm. So at the Mm -hmm. time, this was beginning of 2018, I put, what do I I describe myself in one word? So I put consultant. Now cue to people walking up to me without even properly introducing themselves, looking down at my name tag and saying, so, uh, Alan, uh, I'm sorry, I mean, Alex, I mean, uh, uh, Aaron, uh, oh, no, Adam, uh, what kind of consulting do you do? And what do you think my response was? <laughs> I'd like to know. Four words. I'm, I'm going to give you one chance to guess. It was a four-word <laughs> statement. Four words. Oh, now you're challenging me. I think it's, um, I don't know. I would have positioned myself as media if I were you. What was your response? I give up. Does it fucking matter? <laughs> and this was a pattern interrupt because they're used to people then spilling their elevator speeches on them. It doesn't matter what kind of consulting I do until I know what keeps them up at night, what motivates yeah. them to keep going, right. what inspires them, what repels them, what they need to fix, what they need to achieve. And once I know those things, then I know if... And how what I do can serve them and can simply say, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can provide that. Right. I mean, does it, I mean but to somebody, but to, but to any random person, does it really matter that my primary business activity is working with entrepreneurs to launch their podcast, their key networking, client attraction, celebrity expert branding tool? I mean, I talk, I mean, I can toss that off the same way that I can throw catnip onto the floor and see if my see if my princesses chase it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but that's not my main marketing strategy. And I actually have picked up clients just by announcing what I do. But it doesn't really matter until I understand what their need is not their need to have a podcast. Their need for more networking, client attraction, celebrity, or branding, because that's what the podcast reach system gives you. 
Right. Yeah. I you need, nailed, to, I need, I need it. to know it's, that exists. It's not about the service. This is about what you're, what you're, what problem you're fixing. And, 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 and that is, that's what it's all about. And that's what we miss. That's why marketing is failing time and time again. And that's why you're having to spend more for acquisition is because it's this sort of I, I, assumption that your audience cares about you. Right. They don't. They care about their problems. They care about the world they live in. They care about their day-to-day, the lot that they care about. And so if you're leading about all of the things that you do, you're not leading with what you can do to help them with the things that they care about. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, it's not It's not about podcasts. It's not about creating podcasts. It's about creating a, a community uh, to, to, to lift you up, right? And, right. and if you have... Um, and if you have that as your goal, then yeah, because that means you and I do the same thing. Uh-huh. So uh, for example, for example, looking at my own competitive analysis, I see all these companies that promise you uh, a podcast in a weekend. And I can tell you that that's a great way to make sure that your podcast becomes the proverbial tree in the forest that falls and nobody's around to hear it. So it doesn't make a sound. I mean, those are the podcasts I watch die. And I can, I mean, we don't have the time to go through all the reasons why, but there are a bunch of them. So who does the idea of the build your podcast in a weekend apply to? Somebody who wants to check off the box that says, I have a podcast. Right. Because they've been told there's this thing called a podcast and they have to have one and it's going to magically change your life. Uh, Who does podcast reach appeal to? People who want to open conversations that lead to more closed deals and expanded opportunities over time. People who want to actually be friends with their social media friends. People right. who are tired of the spammy fucking DMs about, hey, me, 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 me. You want to hop on a Zoom call and, and let me tell you more about it so you can volunteer to be my client? No, right. no, no, no. That's that's reach solves. So I, I know who I'm going after there. And as far as the folks who are only concerned with listeners and downloads, well, I'll tell you that listeners and downloads are absolute bullshit. And they're the reason your podcast will fail. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're hitting the heart of it. You're hitting the heart of it. Yeah. You know, so, if, I, if I got a DM that says you want and I do get them, uh, I'm going to help with your sales efforts, uh, set up a Zoom call. I'm going to ignore it. But if I got one that says uh, you, you are wasting four hours a day on sales, I can take that from you. I would probably yeah. pick up the phone yeah, you know, because they're dialing into what my problem is, which is I don't have any time to do sales. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Like for example, at the time we're having this conversation, Mark, uh, the pre the Friday before the date we had this conversation, you know, you, you have all these companies out there that do appointment settings say, we will get you so many appointments. Well, the Friday before I, I booked, I booked date appointments just by messing around on, on Facebook for an hour. Right. Wonder right. how I did it? Chatting with people. Hey, I saw your post on such and such. I really like it. Um, I think my listeners would like it too. Would you like to be on my podcast? Yeah. Podcast right. itself. The podcast itself is the connector. You lead with value. You put reciprocity on the table first. Right. Uh, that's more valuable to you, to me, to most people than hey, you want to hop on a zoom and let's get to know each other better or let's have some virtual coffee on it. A, I don't have time for real coffee. B, I told you earlier in this call, I don't like coffee. <laughs> so why the hell am I going to have virtual coffee? But Hey, give me some, give me some profile. Yeah, I'll do it. And I'll have a green room conversation with you. Right. And then we can, then we can talk business. We can talk about what Mark does, what Adam does. Is there a synergy there? But We've led with something that is more mutually beneficial to both of us. 
I mean, how, I mean, I mean, I, I booked eight and I have like three others that I'm expecting to come in like any time now because they said they were going to take care of it uh, today. But, you know, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. Sometimes folks need a couple prompts. Bottom line yeah. is, bottom line is, I just explained to you how rather than talk about podcasting as a modality, I, I spoke of a problem to be solved, which is how do I get more? How do I get more appointments? Well, I just I showed you I, I got eight, eight appointments by screwing around on social media for thirty minutes. Right, that's because and you're, I, talk, and, you're and, talking with people and not at them, and, and using one phrase that was them centric. What's in it for me? Uh, from the from the recipient's perspective, using a templated phrase that can be adjusted smoothly. So, hey, I saw your post on X. Well, they know about their post; they wrote it. Or I love what you're doing with Y, which is that new JV they're doing, that new company they're launching, that new brand they're building, what have you. Well, heck, I just validated their efforts. Yeah, you think, that means you're you think, watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and what's going through your mind is, oh, wait a minute, somebody's paying attention to me. I've never heard from this guy before. He and I never spoke about this, but he, but he, but he's he see he's following me. He's seeing what I'm doing. Oh, okay. Well, they'll read the rest of the sentence, which then is an opportunity for them to get more publicity. And all they right. have to do is show up and have a conversation. Now, if I were to go do that same prospect and say, uh, hey, want to build a podcast? Now they're thinking of editing, production, yeah, syndication, time. They're thinking time. website. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so the funny thing about the Business Creators Radio Show, and Mark, you just experienced it yourself, is while this conversation began as sort of an interrogative Q&A, you gave me some points in the green room, and I wanted to cover those first. We got those out of the way, is it then became a free-flowing conversation that really was about the impacts, effects, and results of what you teach, as opposed to what have you. Now, I know you're in the process of doing a number of different things with your business right now. And this is the reason why I encourage people to find you on social media. So Mark Havener, for folks that's spelled H-A-V-E-N-N-E-R, you can find him on LinkedIn. You can find him on Facebook. You can find him on Twitter. You can find him at his website, which is www.havener, spelled that way, H-A-V-E-N-N-E-R.com. And I encourage you to accept these invitations. And when you reach out to Mark, mention you heard him on the Business Creators Radio Show. And with that, Mark, thank you so much for being with us today. I got to tell you, it's been an honor and an education. Thank you. I had a great time. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.